trade and under, head on downstairs. All right. Very good. Well, those of you that are here, I want to invite you to take your Bibles or turn on an app on your phone to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of change things up a little bit and start off with a different thing here that uh, I totally recognize that when we talk about the topic, when you, anyone that you hear that the topic of marriage is brought up, um, it brings up a lot of questions. Uh, what if this doesn't, does this apply to me? Why am I even here? Um, why, um, what if my, uh, I'm not married? What if I don't want to get married? What if I, my marriage has ended? What if we've already lived in this marriage and um, seems like we figured all this stuff out? Or what if my spouse is no longer with us? Um, and uh, I just want to say that this is important to us because as we'll see, uh, as we've seen last week, this week, and ultimately the week after next, that marriage is bi- has a bigger purpose than just the immediate, and by immediate I mean in this lifetime. Uh, also, this is in the Bible. There's a grand theme of marriage in the Bible that is bigger than just a man and a woman. Um, in fact, the whole Bible starts off with this couple that get themselves in a hot mess and have a lot of consequences of things, and it ends with another marriage of Christ and his church. So there's this grand theme throughout the scriptures but also it's foundational, but it has many other worldview implications, what you see marriage as. We dug into that a lot last week. But very importantly is, as, as um, Tim Keller said it this way, that the gospel helps us to understand marriage, and marriage helps us to understand the gospel. And that is one of the reasons, among many, that we're taking these three weeks to talk about this. And so there is one passage that is repeated four times in the Bible. And last week we looked in Genesis chapter 1 and the creation of man and the gender roles and the genders created that God designed in man and woman, male and female. And then we came to chapter 2 when God saw this, there was this design, this dilemma that was God's design to be a dilemma that man would not need should not be alone. And so he comes to the end of chapter 2, and I'll read this, we'll pray, and then we'll open up together. Um, chapter 2 of Genesis, I'll begin reading in verse 18, we'll read to chapter t- to verse 24. God's word says this, And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever he called them, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a great sleep to fall upon him. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib 
And the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your passage and the design you have for this. And Lord, I ask for your help now. I pray that this would be helpful and grace-filled and useful and that it would not be guilt-ridden or harsh to anyone, but it would be seen as your pattern for us. And I pray that you would help us as a church who are singles, a church of singles, a church of marrieds, a church of widows and widowers. And Lord, I pray a church of divorcees and divorcers. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, rally us around our groom in the church. Help us to learn about the gospel from marriage and learn about marriage from the gospel. And Lord, I do ask that you would help us in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I brought something up with me and uh, that I wanted to share with you. This is pretty cool. I've had this rolled up on a shelf in my office. And um, this, my friends, is blueprints. Now, blueprints were blue from about the early 1800s to about 1940. And since this building was built in 1947, I think this original part here um, and um, they changed it to where it was white with blue co- coming out. So anyway, but what is so cool about blueprints, and I probably should not put it on top of the Bible because, you know. Um, but what's cool about blueprints, and I'm going to leave this up and you can even play with this and look at it afterwards. Um, some of this is even be cool to put in a frame and hang on a wall. But it kind of tells you before something is built what the design was, if you'll follow it. And and then you could always go back to that as a point of reference to see, like, are we going the right way? Or And it's not, and it's really spent, sent to be like, these are the train tracks that you should build upon. And so all the foundational stuff that's important underneath what you do in the blueprints and the power and the force and whatever tools are happening. But, but the blueprints are, are that skeletal outline of what something, what the structure is supposed to look like. And so many times we mess up in building because we don't follow the blueprints. And in the same way, many marriages get into trouble because they do not follow God's blueprint for marriage. So tomorrow, tomorrow, I was thinking about this yesterday, so it was tomorrow, but tomorrow is today, today, right? Um, Mike, would you mind me to turn this one off or this one off? I'm getting a little feedback. Maybe turn me down a little bit. Thank you. Um, Today, we're going to see God's blueprints for marriage. And, and so this, is a pa- this is, uh, comes from a passage uh, in the Bible that we just read that is repeated three other times in the Bible. And so that what we just read, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh, is repeated 
in Matthew chapter, so here at the beginning in, in Genesis, God's design, this was God's design, so um, was that a man would leave father and mother, cleave to his own wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And then in Matthew, you can write these references down, Matthew 19. Now, Matthew 19, in the context of divorce, they're asking Jesus about divorce. When mankind's messed this up, right? Hardness of heart and everything like this. God gives grace, God gives love, God gives, God gives reasons, God knows that uh, life is messy. But in the context of that discussion, Jesus says in Matthew 19, again, from the beginning, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his own wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And then in Mark chapter 10, in verses 7 and 8, Jesus says the same thing again. And then later on in the epistles, Paul will give will flesh that same idea out in applying it to the relationship Jesus has with his church when he would say again, for this from the beginning, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his own wife, and they too shall become one flesh. I speak, this is a profound mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this phrase, this passage is repeated four times in the Bible as if it were to be a design that God would have for marriage or a blueprint God would have for marriage. So today in this second message in our series on marriage, we want to look at this. Now we're, we're doing the definition of marriage last week, the design of marriage this week, and the week after next, the display of marriage. And these are what I'm calling the big rocks in the jar, kind of taking that principle from time management that you want to put the big rocks in the jar and then the smaller rocks and then the sand and then the water. The big rocks in the jar are what's important because marriages are, 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 are individual and individual temperaments and personalities and things like that. And so no one has the same exact situation. So you can read all the how-to books, but often unless that per- couple is exactly the way you and your partner are, It's not going to apply to you perfectly, but if we get the big principles from the Bible, we can flesh those out on our our own. So we want to elevate our view of marriage for the glory of God and also to help us understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to marriage, whether you are the participant as the groom, as the bridesmaid, as the groomsman, as the flower girl or ring bearer, or whether you're just the person that came for the food afterwards, We are all theologians when it comes to the altar. When it comes to marriage, we're all theologians. How we think and act about marriage, we're doing theological work. The way you view marriage and the way you interact with you are married shows how you're doing theological work there. Because God has a big picture in mind of marriage. The gospel, just like a, a building, would have a foundation before the building that has the blueprints. So this is where I want to fit these blueprints in, this blueprints of marriage, recognizing that every structure has a foundation, that the foundation of marriage is rooted in the gospel and in the covenant of God with us and the covenant keeping. We said that that idea of the covenant, that a covenant of companionship is what we looked at last week. And then the power that does this is the gospel, also the working of the Holy Spirit in us and things like this, but these blueprints is really the structure that we're looking for. And so... Um, this, is, this applies to each of us. So what, um, what if, um, well, you say, well, what if most of my years of marriage are behind me? Well, I would say also you will interact with single friends. You have kids who are getting married. You have, we have newlyweds that we will have in our church or things like this or young couples. 
And so this is important for all of us. So last week we saw in the definition of marriage, and we'll review this on the screen, the definition of marriage from last week is that marriage is a lifelong covenant of companionship between one man and one woman. A lifelong covenant companionship between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, united together in a covenant of companionship. Covenant union, a lifelong committed relationship. And through the points that we looked at, it was the first that God created mankind. And it's amazing that this is such a big battlefield in sociology, theology, and politics that God created man, and he created them that God created two equal yet distinct genders. And we dug in a little bit last week about how your gender is intrinsic to your personhood. I mean, there is something metaphysical there that is tied in. This is before the fall. Chapter 1, chapter 2, or before chapter 3, right? This is before the fall. Um, and um, this is an important thing. That the sin did not create distinct genders. Sin distorts genders and confusion about everything with it. And God has a plan. And so we saw that, um, so that these are two, and that God created marriage between one man and one woman. This was God's plan. And that, so affirming this means we deny lots of other things, other forms of this. By the way, do you know what the greatest punishment for polygamy and bigamy is? Do you have two mothers-in-law? <laughs> All right. I thought that'd be funnier than it was. So anyway, marriage is based upon covenant, not merely contract. There's a contract involved. But the covenant gives the idea that there's a third party, that there's God, that there's something greater and there's a divine aspect to it. That, that, that this covenant, there's a, con, there's a calling that comes. That whether, so if you woke up today single, God had a calling on your life to be single today. If you woke up to, today married, you receive that God has a calling on your life to be married today. It is a calling. It's a covenant that God has with you. And receive it as that. Receive singleness as a calling from God. Receive marriage as a calling from God. And so um, when marriage is rooted in covenant, it can weather any storm as long as we both shall live. And so some of the implications that we looked at last week are this, that humans did not create marriage. So a justice of the peace or a pastor or a civil judge or a preacher or an Elvis impersonator in Vegas or Gatlinburg did not create marriage. God did. And if, if God created it, um, then man can't do it. So marriage was not a human solution. Keller said that marriage didn't evolve in the late Bronze Age as a way to determine property rights. The Bible begins with a marriage, ends with a marriage. Um, so when we attend a marriage ceremony, we're watching a miracle take place that God does. The main actor is God, not the bride, um, the, the, or the groom, or the preacher. It's God. Marriage is made in heaven. That's why the Bible would say, don't let what God joins together, let not man put asunder. Of course, the Bible recognizes there's biblical reasons for separations and things. We've talked about that a little bit last week as well. So marriage is the one flesh union that God performs. The world doesn't understand that. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. Marriage is, is not to be treated casually or flippantly. Um, and the church isn't far behind the secular culture in this. In fact, the, the, the church somewhat led the way 
And we said, we said we are about biblical marriage, not traditional marriage, because sometimes we'll say, oh man, all those liberals, they're just distorting marriage. They're, 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 they're distorting marriage. It's like, okay, well, there are plenty of churches and folks in churches that were distorting marriage decades before secular culture was. Um, and so there's enough mud to sling everywhere. Um, and so Dave Harvey said it, marriage was not invented, was, in, was not just invented by God. Marriage belongs to God. And so it's not a human institution. Humans can't, don't have the right to change it or to redefine it. Not the government nor the church could do that. And the basis or the foundation of that is covenant. Not love, not sex, not property, not whatever misconceptions that culture would say. It is covenant. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said, marriage is more than your love for each other. In your love, you see only the heaven and your own happiness. But in marriage, you are placed in a, a post of responsibility towards the world and towards mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It's a status. It's an office. It's a calling. Just as it is the crown and not merely to the will to rule that makes the king, so it is the marriage and not merely love for each other that joins together in the sign of God and man, sight of God and man. So if the foundation of, of marriage in the gospel is covenant, calling, now we want to build upon that foundation, and here are the blueprints that we see for that building. And so we saw these, the, this passage, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his own wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So if you're reading the Bible, as the point of Bible understanding, if you see something repeated, it's important. If you see something repeated four times across translations, so in the Old Testament and then three times in the New Testament, it transcends something. If you see that used in creation, it's part of, it, part of God's design in creation. If you see Jesus use that when he's talking about in distortion of it in divorce, it's part of God's solution when marriage uh, um, goes into hard times. And when you see Paul use the same phrase and passage when he's speaking of the relationship of Jesus and his church in the end, coming to the end, uh, we know that it has a bigger picture for us. And so there are three building blocks on this blueprint that we're going to call the design of marriage, like rails on the train. And we need the work of the gospel, the power of the spirit, and cooperation of all this for the good of all people. And so we're going to look at three of these today, these building blocks on this blueprint. How's that for mixing metaphors? And um, each of them has a positive and a negative. The design shows the, po- the, the and the problems of not following design. And so I'm going to assert this, that, excuse me, failure in one of these areas is often the source of many marital problems. Now, I am not the guru on marriage, um, and um, far from it. Much, much, much to learn. And um, and so... Um, so I'm not coming as a I know it all at all. I'm just sharing from the scriptures. Uh, the source of all of our sharing and ministry is not experience, but scriptures. And so, a failure of one of the follow God in one of these areas in this blueprint is when we get off. When we when, if you're looking at the blueprints um, to build something, and then you think, ah, I can do this a different way. 
I remember we bought um, we, our, our old house when we lived over in Kaiser. We got a playground set for our kids. And uh, I forget, I, I was doing something, had some other folks helping uh, put this big playground thing together. And the guys thought um, they didn't need to read the instructions that they could figure it out because they saw the picture on the box. Um, afterwards, I ended up taking the thing apart and putting it all back together following the instructions. And it was just a very long evening into the dark putting that thing together because they didn't follow the blueprint, right? You ever been there? You ever done something like that? Okay, so the first one. So it repeated. For this cause shall a man leave, there's three words, father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So three points today. Leave, cleave, and to make it rhyme, weave. Okay? Leave, cleave, and weave. Number one, leaving. It's not original with me. It's in a lot of different biblical counseling books, so um, it's a nice rhyme, though. So, um, leave. The word has the idea of losing or abandoning. For this kind of show, man, leave, this Hebrew word here, that, that we would leave behind something. So God is emphasizing when he, when he speaks of the blueprints of marriage, when he says, for this cause shall man leave father and mother, that the marriage relationship is to be a priority over other relationships, even parental relationships. This is the, so what this does not mean is that you should abandon your parents. You know, but the Bible's clear in First Timothy and also in Mark that you have a responsibility to care for them, especially when they're in, 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 in their age or need help and to honor that. It does not mean that you cease from honoring your parents, that the command in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus to honor your father and mother is binding no matter what. No, you can be 99 years old and you are still obligated to honor your father and mother. But it does mean that there is a fundamental change in relationship in marriage, that you leave father and mother. It means that you are leaving the practice and obligation of obedience to one's parents. You don't have to obey them. You do need to honor them. It does mean that we show shows the differences in the relationships, that there are permanent relationships and there are temporary relationships, so that the parent-child relationship, the obedience aspect of the parent-child relationship, is temporary. The husband and wife relationship is permanent. It means that the child relationship is also temporary, but the husband-wife relationship is permanent. And there are many applications of this and many implications of this. And sometimes the most basic things are the most profound things. Sometimes stating the obvious is the most wise thing one can do. And we all need to get this, whether you are married or you are a parent or a grandparent or you are family members of someone who is or you have a sister or brother who got married. This is important, that leaving, that you are, they are leaving obedience to parents. So what if? couple gets married and mom and dad say you should move here you must move here and buy this house you must you should change churches and go to church here with us you should get this job and not that job do they need to obey no what if they say and this has happened i've heard of this happening we feel called to the mission field no you're not doing that i'm not gonna let you go i'm not gonna let my grandkids do you need to obey them? 
Jesus spoke about this explicitly. That if you're not willing to give up houses and lands and mother and father and your own life also, you can't be my disciple. What if they say, don't buy this truck or buy that field or buy this house or buy the, one, buy the house two doors down from mine? Are they obligated to obey? No. It means that they're no longer dependent upon parents. For this cause shall man leave father and mother. Um, doesn't mean that there, I mean, obviously there's temporary times of financial crisis or transition and moving and things like that. But as far as long term, and we're seeing the epidemic of this in our culture today. Um, I was even, I was listening yesterday while exercising to Dr. Albert Moeller talking about this, the helicopter parents literally coming down from the helicopter, uh, the we instead of them and uh, later in life. That married children, the statistics say that married children who live with their parents are statistically more likely to get divorced than those that don't. Um, there's, for this cause shall man leave father and mother. They're leaving parent-child relationships. So I have two daughters, and I tell them off the t- all the time, you're always going to be daddy's little girl. Is that true when I tuck them in at night? In some sense, yes, they'll always be daddy's little girl. But in some sense, no, they're not always going to be daddy's little girl. Because one of these days when they're about 45, there'll be some chump that asks for their hand in marriage or asks them to marry them, right? After they get out of that Baptist convent. And um, um, neither one of them are in the room. and So that's okay, I have to... There's an implication of this that the way we relate to married children, that we recognize that they are adults. Um, they might not act like it. They might not understand it, but treat them as adults. Things like knocking before entering or thinking twice before suggesting or calling before visiting or things like this. Just the same respect you would want for any other human. Um, you would want to consider your spouse as a higher priority than your parents. So here's, an, for this cause shall man leave father and mother. So, um, I don't know if I'm on here or not. For this, for this cause shall man leave father and mother. So what do you do, fella, when um, you get married and mama says, you're coming here for Thanksgiving, right? And your wife says, well, I thought we'd have Thanksgiving here. What do you do? For this cause, show a man leave father and mother and cleave to his own wife, right? Um, and so you, there, there, there's so many things, you know, or it could get even more complicated, you know. Your, your wife and your mother-in-law are both in a boat that capsizes and neither can swim. What do you do? I'll let you talk about that over lunch. But I'll give you two interesting things. So my father-in-law, I thought two good examples in my life. So my father-in-law was, was, was very strict on, um, and he would, he would, he would come out and say he was too strict in many ways. And he was, you know, he had been discipled in a stream of Christianity that many of you all are familiar with. It was, you know, over and he's apologized in many ways, but so there were certain things about dress code and things like that, that, um, uh, were restrictions on Jamie and, uh, and she was super submissive and obedient to those things about, you know, skirts and length of hair and things like this that. And I remember there was one time that Jamie's one of her was on the phone with one of her sisters. No, she was with us and said, "Why are you wearing that?" And does Dad know you're doing that? She's like, "Well, Dad and I disagree." And Jamie's like, "Since when are we allowed to disagree with Dad? Like that, you're not allowed to do that, right?" And 
Um, but I remember we, uh, he had had, was, had certain rules on, on Jamie on this, and it was like a month or two after we got married. We were back from our honeymoon, and there was an event, and, and they were going to go do something with their church friends. And, uh, and Jamie says, well, Dad, do I have to wear this to that? Is this that type of an event, you know? Um, and he said, he said, well, ask your husband. Which basically meant she could do whatever she wanted, but um, but but it was still the principle in his mind was that's transfer. There's a change in that. I'll tell you another story, um, and I don't say this. I say this in all because my parents would honor honor this as well. I've told you how camp God used camp a, a great way in my life. My mom and dad were on the brink of divorce, and um, our pastor growing up asked my mom and dad to drive a, va- a bus of juniors to camp. At the same time, there was a family camp. Um, and God used that in their lives to get right with God and right with each other. And it was just, just a, so camp is just special to me. And uh, anyway, the guy who was preaching, I might have told you this, the guy who was preaching that family camp, and I was probably like seven or eight years old, um, he pastored somewhere in Indiana. Uh, and uh, when he passed away, I actually saw one of the Hamburg girls share something of something. And I wrote to them and said, hey, I just want to tell you this testimony. I'm pastoring now. And, um, and they knew the way to my heart. They said, oh, he would be so delighted to have some of his books donated to you. And I was like, I'll take them. 1318 North 16th Street, Clarksburg, West Virginia. Send them here. And so I got a handful of books from his, um, from his library. And um, anyway, but I remember in that time preceding that, uh, there was an, uh, we lived out Laurel Valley. Uh, and uh, there was a, an argument, and my mom left. And she went to my grandparents uh, on my, my, my mom's side. And my grandpa, Draper, um, my mom comes and says, he's this, he's this, this. And, and my dad's like, are you hurt? Is he hurting you? No, no, no. He's just a blah, blah, blah. I'm staying here. I'm coming back home. And you know what my grandpa said? No, you're not. You're not welcome here. Go home to your husband. You know why? He didn't know the Greek behind this but he knew, or the Hebrew because in, in the Old Testament, but he said, this is in the Bible. There's been a change in relationship you're married now and i think what had my grandpa not had that rod of biblical blueprint in his backbone how my life might be different now right for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his own wife so number one blueprint block in the block is leaving secondly cleave or hold fast it's translated here in the esv the definition means to cleave or to cling to. Uh, the same word is used um, about in Job, how he a uh, bone to a skin in his skin, or then Job says, "By the skin of my teeth." How do you separate the skin of the teeth from the teeth? They're so they're they're cleave. They're stuck to it. Um, so the or when your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth, there's there, it's it's a basically an enduring commitment that you leave and cleave. There are some ideas that are, cop- that are trapped in this. Things like an enduring commitment for richer, for poorer, for better, or for worse, in sickness and in health. It's a permanent commitment till death do us part. It's a commitment that is a design. It's a choice. It's not based upon feeling. I mean, it is till death do you part. Or, as that great romantic movie, Rocky IV, when he says to Adrian, you ain't never getting rid of me, you know, or that, that there, is, there is this, that, that you're stuck together. Or as another way of saying it, like Ramalama Lama Kadingadong, 
remember forever as shoebop, shawada, wada, yippee, boobop. That's the way it should be, right? So you heard John Travolta and Sylvester Stallone quoted in the same sermon. There you go. This, commit, this, this type of a commitment, leaving and cleaving, cleaving, committed, skin to the teeth, there, committed. This commitment generates a love and a trust and a loyalty and a security. And this is the key to intimacy. I mean, the commitment, this communication, all of this, when it's committed this, that you're committed to the spouse, not primarily to the kids. I mean, primarily, there's this commitment to leave and cleave. And you know, I tell you, the best thing I can do for my kids is to love their mom. The best thing I can do for them is to cleave because a family grows from that marriage bond of husband and wife. And so this is the thing. So number one, leave. Number two, cleave. Number three, weave. Now this is the immediate goal of marriage. I say immediate goal because the ultimate goal is to glorify God and be a picture of Jesus and his church. But the immediate goal of marriage is oneness. They too shall become one flesh. Leave, cleave, and weave. This is more than a physical union. It's a weaving of two lives together, or as someone said, a mingling of souls. It's connected there. And someone said it this way, that marriage math is one plus one equals one, that they too shall become one flesh. Wayne Mack said it this way, husbands and wives are no more two but one flesh. And this one flesh concept must manifest itself in practical, tangible, and demonstrable ways. God does not intend for it to be merely an abstract concept or idealistic theory, but a concrete reality. Total intimacy, deep unity are part of God's blueprint for a good marriage. And so, so the blueprint that would come is that this is oneness, oneness. And it needs to be manifest, he said, in practical, tangible, demonstrable ways. Oneness, leave, cleave, weave. One, one plus one equals one. So some practical ways. Some of these are preference and some of these are... So one, one man, one woman, one marriage, one bed, one pocketbook, one bank, bank account, one, one, one. One spirit, the way Paul describes it, one flesh in First Corinthians. Now, so when Paul talks about the negative of this, about how when one in First Corinthians, how when one joins themselves to a prostitute, what he's saying is, don't you know when you join with you're becoming one flesh with them, is basically any type of sexual activity outside of marriage is exploiting the prerogatives of marriage or what's supposed to be done within marriage because because what you're doing is you're having the shell of oneness without the covenant meaning of oneness. Uh, you're ripping it off. You're the shell and not the meaning. It was intended, the physical component of it, was to be for oneness. Um, the world says, you know, don't lose your identity in your marriage. But God says, they too shall become one. So marriage, Wayne Mack said, is a total commitment, total sharing of a total person with one another until, until death. So you might have heard said, well, it's got to be a 50-50. No, 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 no. It's got to be a 100-100. Um, and the physical union is an expression of this. 
Spiritual intimacy is deeper than that. But this, if you have this leaving and cleaving and weaving, it's going to make this foundation, this building, this blueprint for the security and the trust and the commitment that comes with this. Sharing everything with each other, your bodies, your income. It's not your money, my money. It's our money. It's not your car, my car. It's our cars. I mean, and so um, you're not just two people living together. So this idea of oneness, what do you think that does with the idea of prenuptial agreements? You can chew on that one, okay? Um, so, and even the way Paul described this when he told men, he said, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. One. One. And so... The immediate goal of marriage is oneness. Leave, cleave, and weave. So with the foundation that is rooted, the gospel in forming this, this covenant idea, this covenant calling, we start building on that, this foundation of marriage, and there's a blueprint for that. The blueprint is leave, cleave, and weave. So this is the design of marriage. And many times we mess up this building because we don't follow the blueprints. And so I would submit to you that maybe in your, you can look back on your marriage. You can look back at other people's marriages. And often a lot of our problems, I know for us, a lot of our problems were leaving problems, cleaving problems, or weaving problems. Like we didn't leave right in this area or that area. Or there's a little too much influence from one side or the other on this uh, and we really hadn't left or we really hadn't cleaved we hadn't like committed this oneness here that one was pulling this out or keeping this out of it and not throwing it all in or we hadn't weaved together in that oneness there hadn't been that sharing of thought and idea or something like that and maybe so I would submit that I would say a lot of our problems are leaving cleaving or weaving problems and so um, I also want to remind us of this as we close, that this blueprint is built upon this covenant. And whether or not you are married today, your covenant with God is in the gospel. And just like a married couple, this, in this blueprint, following this blueprint is going to be one. So in the gospel, we're to be one in him. In fact, the Bible speaks so much, this is called union with Christ, that we are in him or uh, in him or with him or uh, that you see this phrase used throughout the Bible. So we are in Christ. uh, Several passages in the New Testament talk about that. The other uh, passage that says that Christ is in us. So we are in him, he is in us. Um, In John 6 and John 15 and 1 John. Now, we're initially united with Christ when we we get saved, when we're regenerated, we're brought into Christ. Our baptism pictures this union with Christ. We're justified. When we're justified, we're union with Christ. How we grow as a Christian is our union with Christ. How we're going to persevere in the faith is in our union with Christ. When we die... We're together with the Lord. We're united with Christ. We're raised with Christ. 
And we are going to be eternally glorified with Christ. So that union with Christ is such a huge thing. And that's why this union, this harmony, this mingling of souls is so important in marriage. Because it pictures the union that we would have with Christ. And our baptism in His resurrection, we, will, we share in His baptism. We share in His resurrection. We share in His ascension. Christ, we are in Him. And that's why you can live this week the Christian life. Not because you have the power or you read the blueprints, but because you are in Christ. That's how you'll live this week. In Christ, you are one. And so when God looks upon you, he sees you one in Christ. You are in the box of Christ. Where he goes, you go. Where where the the box is set, you're, you're in him. You're in him. So the gospel informs us on this aspect of marriage as well. And I hope you'll maybe look at these blueprints and maybe make some adjustments in your life and your marriage or how you treat married children or married friends or any of that recognizing some of those things um, that you would have this rooted in covenant um, to build that foundation there and that ultimately you'd let it see uh, the gospel all in the air of the gospel for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these simple but very profound truths about your blueprints for marriage. God, we need you to change our thinking about them, but then also, Lord, to, um, to give us the power to live these, and we don't have that. We need you to change us. We need you to inform us. We need you to renew us, and we need Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that the covenant relationship we have with Christ would inform and motivate and fuel this, and we would see that as the engine and and these blueprints simply as the tracks. And, Lord, I pray for those that that there's been some statements made that are hard um, or uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive them with grace and seek to apply and change, that we would take it to the scriptures and not just take some human's words for it. Lord, I pray especially for the person here that may not know Christ, and I pray that you would draw them to a saving knowledge of Christ to be saved today, that they can believe on Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, because we have sick kids and things like this, Jamie slipped out, and uh, so we're not going to sing. But uh, what, I, what I did think is just have a, let's just close with a time of prayer. And uh, so what I just want to encourage us to do is maybe split up into some groups and uh, maybe some surround you. Maybe just pray with one another for a few moments. And then um, Mike, maybe let five minutes go by and then click on the timer uh, for, put the music on, and, um, and then we'll just fellowship together. Sound good? Let's just kind of take some time and pray together. If you don't feel like praying with anybody, you, you're welcome to slip out to the back or just talk. But let's just have a few moments of prayer together, and then we'll close our service.